Welcome to the Ship Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of this week's precious metals news. It's Friday, April 29th. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. There's no problem in the housing market. Oops, there's the problem in the housing market, but don't worry, it's contained to subprime. Quantitative easing is not debt monetization. We're going to sell all of these bonds we're buying when the emergency is over. So this is just a temporary measure. Oh, oh no, no, no. Trillions of dollars in fiscal stimulus isn't going to cause inflation. Oops, there's a little bit of inflation, but don't worry. It's transitory. This list of BS has all come out of the Federal Reserve in the last decade plus. Now Jerome Powell and his minions are telling us, okay, inflation isn't transitory, but no worries. We can fix this with some rate hikes. Just a few. Don't worry. The economy is strong, so we can do this without crashing it. Now, here's my question. Why should we believe them this time? Why should we have any faith in anything coming out of the Federal Reserve? I mean, have these people been right about anything? I mean, I imagine they have, but when you look at the trajectory of their policy and all of the things that they've said over the last, again, 10 plus years, the track record is pretty awful. So the markets seem to believe it though, right? They seem to think Powell and company can thread this needle. They think the central bank can do what it couldn't do back in 2018. They can do that today with even bigger bubbles and even more debt. Now, we see the evidence that the markets believe this in the strength of the dollar. Uh, I think I saw today that the dollar is like at a 20-year high. Uh, we've seen gold selling off. In fact, we were back below $1,900 an ounce yesterday, although the yellow metal has rallied a bit today. It's over 1900 again uh, this morning. It was like, like 1920 the last time I looked. But overall, gold has seen a lot of selling pressure over the last couple of weeks with all of this hawkish talk coming out of the Fed. And you know, this isn't just me speculating that this is why the gold market is struggling. This is from an analyst over at Fidelity. He said, quote, gold has been hamstrung by expectations that the U.S. Federal Reserve will now act quite aggressively to bring inflation under control. The prospect of further U.S. interest rate hikes adds to the relative attraction of the dollar over real assets like gold that have no yield. Fewer dollars are then required to buy an ounce of gold, reducing its dollar price. So this is mainstream analysis. Everybody thinks the Fed is going to tighten and interest rates are going up, so this is a negative for gold. Now, if you listen to the show regularly, you know the problem with this mainstream thinking. In fact, if you listened last week, we talked about real interest rates. They're ignoring real interest rates, which remain deeply negative and are going to remain deeply negative for a long time. And you know about the last tightening cycle. You know it didn't work. I've talked extensively about why I don't think the Fed can raise rates, much less shrink its balance sheet without popping the bubbles and tanking the economy. But Powell and all of the others over at the Fed keep talking about this strong economy. That's the new mantra they're clinging to. It's kind of like transitory inflation. The economy is strong. The labor market is strong. Everything is strong. This is great. 
Paul was part of uh, an IMF roundtable last week, and he went on and on about how the fiscal and monetary policy during the pandemic was remarkable. And he didn't mean remarkably bad. He actually claims it created this strong economy that we have now. And this strong economy is why a 50 basis point interest rate hike is on the table for May. He also said that the Fed would probably front load rate hikes, which means bigger hikes sooner to get to this magic three or three and a half percent that they think is going to slay 8.5 percent inflation. Now, when Powell said all of this last week, the markets freaked. We had a big sell-off in the stock market, uh, but we also saw gold and silver selling off because, you know, the Fed really means it this time, right? The inflation monster, it's going to go down. And, and yeah, yeah, it might cause a little bit of a recession, but overall it's going to be fine because, you know, the economy is strong. Yeah, no, this economy is not strong. Yes, indeed, the monetary policy and fiscal policy we saw during the pandemic, it was remarkable, remarkably stupid, and it did not create a great, strong economy. It just took bubbles that were deflating back in 2018 and blew more air into them. They just made a bunch of bigger bubbles. And it already looks like the air is starting to come out of this bubble, even before the aggressive war on inflation that the Fed is supposedly about to wade into. We got the first quarter GDP numbers yesterday. Now, despite this being the awesome, strong economy that it is, nobody was expecting a big GDP leap uh, in Q1. I was seeing projections in the 1% range, but we didn't get that. GDP shrank. It fell by 1.4% at an annualized rate in the last quarter. Now, you're going to hear all kinds of excuses for this drop in GDP. Reuters spun it saying, quote, it is not a true reflection of the economy. Then why bother with it, right? Joe Biden said that this big contraction was due to, quote, technical factors. I think the president is mispronouncing awful fiscal and monetary policy. Now, going back to this Reuters report, they start out by telling us that a COVID-19 resurgence led to a bit of a decrease in economic activity in Q1. Eh, okay, you know, COVID, that's kind of a tired excuse, but whatever. Then they pivoted to talk about the labor market, going on and on about how strong the labor market is and how we're seeing solid wage gains. Now, I've talked about that on this show, these, these so-called wage gains, and Peter Schiff talked about it in his podcast last week. I'll link to that episode in the show notes page. Real wages are collapsing at an unprecedented rate. Yes, wages have risen around 4 to 5%, so I guess Reuters technically isn't lying, but the CPI has risen by 8.5%. That's at best a 3.5% decline in real wages, and of course, it's worse than that because, as I mentioned over and over on this show, the government CPI numbers are cooked. You're really getting a 4 or 5% raise while prices rise by 17% using a more honest CPI calculation. But don't worry, friends. Reuters tells us that, quote, even with food and gasoline prices soaring, there is no sign yet of consumers pulling back, as if 
Suddenly you're going to stop buying food and gasoline? I don't even understand what this sentence is supposed to mean. Actually, I do understand. They're trying to tell us that despite all of these rising prices, consumers are still out there spending money, so that means that the economy is strong. I talked about this last week, or maybe it was the week before. Americans are sustaining their spending by running up credit cards and depleting their savings. What happens when the savings are all gone, and we're close to that now, and when the credit cards hit their limits? Look, even if there is a grain of truth in this wildly optimistic spin we're getting about GDP, the bottom line is a great economy does not contract by 1.4%. GDP does not drop when the economy is great. When the economy is strong, GDP increases, right? That's the definition of a strong economy. That's not what we're seeing. You can slap all the lipstick you want on this pig. The numbers are the numbers, right? Here's the bottom line. This is not a strong economy. So while we're on the subject of central bankers being wildly wrong about stuff, we got a rare moment of honesty from the head of the International Monetary Fund. I mentioned the roundtable that Jerome Powell was part of last week. Well, IMF Director Kristalina Georgieva was also there. And she actually admitted that central banks globally, quote, printed too much money, and didn't think of the unintended consequences. You think? I can't even believe that this is a real quote. But it is. I'm not making this up. Now, how this economic brain trust missed, failed to consider that injecting trillions of dollars into the economy would cause prices to rise... That's a bit of a head-scratcher, right? This is economics 101. Expanding the money supply pushes prices higher than they otherwise would be. I knew this would happen. Peter Schiff knew this would happen. He was talking about it. Heck, you probably knew this would happen, right? But the people in charge of running the global economy didn't consider this? They didn't even consider it? These people are either wildly incompetent or they're lying to you. You decide which. So you might think this confession is a step forward, but I assure you it's not. The ego, the arrogance, the hubris that makes these people think that they can micromanage the global economy remains firmly in place. They just think they need to try a little bit harder. Now, although Georgieva admits a mistake, the rest of her comments revealed she hasn't learned a lesson. Quote, we act sometimes like eight-year-olds playing soccer. Yeah. Here's the ball. We are all at the ball. And we don't cover the rest of the field. Our ability to deal with more than one crisis at one time is very, very limited. And we have to zero in on the really big things that could determine the future. And we need to keep our attention on them. So basically, she's saying, oops, our bad. We messed up because we didn't consider the unintended consequences. But we're going to do better next time because our focus is going to be right on point. We promise we're going to get it right. Georgieva, Powell, Biden, Lagarda over at the ECB, Trump, the whole lot of these central planners don't understand that it is impossible for them to take into account all of the unintended consequences of any given policy prescription. That's why central planning is always doomed to failure. 
every single time. Economist F.A. Hyatt got to the root of this problem in his seminal paper, The Use of Knowledge in Society. In a nutshell, Hyatt concluded that central planning will always fail because it is impossible for the central planners, no matter how smart they are, to possess all of the information necessary to factor in all of the ramifications of any given policy. Hayek wrote, The knowledge of the circumstances of which we must make use never exists in concentrated or integrated form, but solely as the dispersed bits of incomplete and frequently contradictory knowledge which all the separate individuals possess. So, We all have little bits of knowledge. The central planners, they may have more bits of knowledge than all of us, but they don't have all of the knowledge. Now, Hayek's writing can be a bit dense. Fee has a great summary of the knowledge problem in the intro to his paper. Quote, Hayek points out that sensibly allocating scarce resources requires knowledge dispersed among many people with no individual or group of experts capable of acquiring it all. It's hubris to think otherwise, but that's the problem with central planners. They are up to the brim with hubris and arrogance and ego. As uh, Peter Schiff put it in a recent podcast, the only thing bigger than Jerome Powell's ego uh, are the bubbles that he's blown up. Simply put, unintended consequences are inevitable in central planning. No matter how hard the central planners try, they're going to miss stuff. No matter how smart an individual or a group of individuals might be, and quite frankly, I'm not convinced that all of these people are necessarily that smart, but even if they are, they don't have all of the knowledge they need. They can't have it. It is absolutely impossible, and as a result, central planning is always going to fail. The problem is that people like Georgieva don't understand this. They don't realize their limitations. They think their crew is smart enough, wise enough, and that they care enough to get the job done, and if they make a mistake, they just need to try harder. And that's where they're wrong. They need to quit freaking trying. They need to get out of the way and let the market function. Before I wrap up this show, I want to hit on some of the data the World Gold Council just released on first quarter gold demand. In a nutshell, it was a really good quarter for gold. Gold demand was up 34% year-on-year. Total demand came in at 1,234 tons in Q1. That was the highest quarterly demand since the fourth quarter of 2018. And it was 19% above the five-year average. Now, the average gold price was up 5% during the quarter, and it was also up 5% year-on-year. So, All the people out there who keep telling me that anybody who has ever invested in gold is now going bankrupt because it's the worst investment in the history of investments, y'all can step back. Seriously, I get this all the time. People will pick one arbitrary date and say, see, gold hasn't done anything. Well, you know, I can pick another arbitrary date and show that gold has done quite well. The fact is, your return on any investment, whether it be a stock, a bond, cryptocurrency, gold, oil, whatever it is, the return on that investment depends on when you buy and when you sell. Now, I'm playing a long game based on what I believe to be solid economic principles. I'm looking at economics, 
because that's really where my background is. And I'm trying to apply that to what I see going on in the financial markets. And I'm trying to play a long game to preserve my wealth over the long term. I'm not a short-term investor, and, and that's a whole different mode of thinking. So I don't get real excited, you know, last week when gold approached $2,000. And, and I'm not worried about the sell-off we saw this week. You know, I don't mean to go on a rant, but it does get a bit annoying when people want to get all up in my grill about how awful gold is. Fine, don't buy it. But if you're going to at me, at least have some kind of economic analysis behind your assertion. Just saying, you're wrong, Meharry, isn't an argument. Or, Bitcoin is better. That's not an argument. I mean, it may be, but make that argument. Nobody wants to make arguments. Nobody really wants to base anything on on you know economic principles or analysis they just want to make pronouncements based on some bits of data they pecked out of the sky we are a data rich society but we have gotten to the point where people have a hard time actually thinking logically and using that data in a way that makes sense and it's hard i mean especially when you're talking about economics because there are so many factors it's so easy to be wrong because we can fixate on one thing and miss something else that's going on over here again it's the knowledge problem that knowledge problem also makes it very difficult to predict markets. And that's why I tend to focus on macro stuff, on long-term stuff. And I admit, I could be wrong. I I certainly could be wrong about the timing of things, you know. But I don't know. It's it's just, I think, important to, to really try to focus in on some type of logical analysis. Have a reason behind what you're saying. We're in this world of Twitter flame wars, and I don't think it's really very productive. So anyway, Enough of that. I'll link to an overview of that Q1 gold report on the show notes page. If you want to get into the weeds, you can actually download the full report from the World Gold Council, and they break things down. They look at uh, central bank demand, uh, industry demand. They they look at uh, um, the ETFs and physical demand. Uh, and jewelry, all of those things. And uh, there's a lot of good information there. You can kind of see what's going on in the gold market and kind of what they're thinking is going to happen as we move forward. And, you know, if you want to talk to somebody about how gold and silver can fit into your investment strategy, how you can work precious metals into your portfolio, I highly recommend talking to a Shift Gold Precious Metal Specialist. These guys have backgrounds in finance and economics. They're fantastic. And they, they really like to work with the individual. They want to look at what your needs are and, and talk to you about how precious metals can fit into your portfolio. So you can do that. Just call 1-888-GOLD-160 or you can shoot them an email, info at shiftgold.com. You can also chat with them over on the website. Um, and again, these are fantastic. Doesn't hurt you to talk to them, right? So do that today. And So for now, that's a gold wrap. It's a gold wrap for this week. You can get more details on all of these stories and more and keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week over at shiftgold.com slash news. And of course, if you haven't done it already, you can subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Stitcher. We're on the uh, Shift Gold YouTube channel. Uh, You'll find links to this stuff over on the show notes page as well as links to our social media. If you want to shoot me an email, you're welcome to mmaharry, M-A-H-A-R-R-E-Y, at shiftgold.com. Love to hear from folks. And um, with that, we're going to wrap it up. I hope you have a fantastic week, and uh, I'll be back talking to you again next week.